0: My name is Ryan, we are in the book of James, um, go ahead and flip to James chapter 1, if there's any other number you've gone too far. Um, also, just so you know, I've got the mic right here, obviously, I don't need it, but that's because we're recording into the soundboard for our podcast, okay? So you guys can go, come back and listen to this, or tell your friends, man, this, this awesome podcast, wow, no, it's the book of James, and you can just share that with them. Um, we are we're in the book of James, we're in chapter one, it, it, it will probably be on the board uh, in just a little while, uh, so you can follow along with us. Uh, so a couple things, let me just kind of share with you this. I make the joke every week, we're in the book of James, and we'll finish it right around the time most of you guys graduate. <laughs> um, we're, we're just taking our time, right? And the reason I do that is because I want us to come to a text and then just ring it out for all that it's worth so that you learn as much of it as you can, and then we'll go into the next one. We just kind of let the text do the talking here, and we take our time. Um, look at James chapter 1, verse 19 real quick. Um, so, and I'm reading from the NASB and I'll explain where we are and where we're going. So 19, this, you know, my beloved brethren, let's stop right there. That was great. Okay. So this is what's going on. Uh, when James, so just something, this is free. You may want to circle this, my type A's right in the book of James, uh, when he says my beloved brethren or my brothers, that's usually when he's starting a new section, or a new point, or a new thought, or a new topic. When he says, my brothers, or my beloved brethren. But he also, he starts it, though, in my version it says, this you know, or, or know this. So he's, this is a big time sign that he is starting a new thought here. He's starting a new topic. We're not quite there yet, though we could be, but I really don't want to start, I don't want to finish one thought and lead into the next. I want to kind of keep them separate, if that makes sense, okay? Okay. Uh, and next week is game night, so a lot of friendships are going to be hurt, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of scarring is going to take place. So I don't want to get into anything new tonight, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to finish up this first part of James chapter 1, kind of the first half of James 1 tonight, in verse 18. Then next week we'll have game night, and then after that we'll jump into the second half of James chapter 1. with Because no, it kind of fits, because we're jumping into the new stuff as James is starting the new stuff. Does that make sense? I don't want to introduce something new, and then we leave it for two weeks, and then we've got to pick it back up again, okay? I want to go with the natural flow of the text, of the Bible, okay? Does that make sense? Can you just follow that? Um, so that's what we're going to do. little review, and then we'll get into some new stuff, okay? Last week, we covered verses 16 and 17 of James chapter 1. So I'll, I'll read them, okay? And then we'll talk for just a second about some review, and then we'll jump into to verse 18. So verse 16 of James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, talk about that in a second, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So we read that last week and we kind of talked through how if you look, you may, again you may want to circle, Father of lights, uh, this one is not that hard to grasp, but lights here he's talking about the stars and the heavens and the planets right the sun and the moon and all these different things um so God is kind of the father of those things James is kind of using um an astronomy kind of analogy does that make sense he's kind of he's going into space with us right he obviously wouldn't know that's what it's called but but that's what he's doing right and then he says the father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow okay variation there in Greek, all right, so the Old Testament's in Hebrew, New Testament's in Greek, in Greek, this word variation we talked about, it has to do with the word orbit, okay? In whom there is no orbit. Well, what does that mean? Well, with orbits, some planets are closer at times, right? And some are further away. Due to the moon's orbit, sometimes you can see it really clearly, sometimes you can't, right? And this is what James is talking about. That doesn't exist in God. There also is no shifting shadow. Or in some verses it may say, there is no shadow due to change. This has to do with kind of the phases of the moon, right? They would look up and they would see half moon, whole moon, crescent moon, whatever National Geographic taught you, whatever it is, right? That's what they would see. It would change, right? This shadow of change, of various stages of light and dark outside. James is walking us through this, and then he says... There is none of that in God. God is not like that. We are, though, right? You and I, we are unstable. We have ulterior motives, but God is always the same. And here's why this is important for you God doesn't just decide, okay, now I'm going to be really tough on her. You know? He doesn't just decide, okay, I'm going to back off now. I'm going to back off now he doesn't get in bad moods. He doesn't have good moods. He is God. He's always what he is. He's not what's called capricious. There's an SAT word, right? Capricious means given to sudden mood changes, mood swings that you can't really justify, right? Some of you may have friends like that. Some of you may be in this room. Um, God is not like that. God is not given to these changes. Um, it reminds me of, and this is why this is important as well, that God does not change. There's a guy named Sam Albury. Some of you may know who this guy is. Um, he worked for Ravi Zacharias Ministries, which is apologetics, arguing why we believe the faith. Apologetics is not going around saying I'm sorry all the time, right? He's, he's arguing for the faith. Um, Sam Alberry specifically specialized in the areas of of gender, gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction. all these. Are, he wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay? Ooh, wow, Ryan, Um, I know. It's like 70 pages. This book, I looked it up today, is six bucks on Amazon. This is a college kid's dream, right? Short book, no picture, sorry. Short book, six bucks on Amazon, and it's about Sam Alberry is same-sex attracted, okay? And he's a believer in Christ, he's a Christian, and so the book is about how he is same-sex attracted, but he does not act out on those desires because of what he sees in Scripture. Does that make sense? And so it's not me, Ryan, who can't relate to that at all, saying this is it, this is it, this is, though I can do that, but this is a guy who's actually feeling that in his bones. Does that make sense? And he wrote this short $6 book to explain it. Now, now here's why I bring this up. Uh, he tells this story, he was with um, a friend of his, who a friend and his wife, and they were at dinner with their two-year-old, and like the day before, the two-year-old had said that spaghetti was her favorite food. Well, the next day, obviously, her mind had changed, because they served her spaghetti, and she started screaming and like throwing it against the wall, just like, just freaking out, and the parents were like... You said it was your favorite yesterday, but apparently she had changed her mind. And Sam says, like, I was thankful in that moment for the gift of singleness that the Lord had given me. But his point was, we think sometimes that God is like that two-year-old. We do. And God is not like this, but we think he is. We think God was like this two-year-old when he wrote the Bible. I'm okay with this group of people getting married, but then the next day he was in a bad mood and he was like, but these people can't. Or you're allowed to do this, you know, whoever, you, whatever situation you want. You're allowed to do this, but then the next day God was in a bad mood, and He was like, no, you're not allowed to do that. He just decided this. No. James chapter 1, verse 17, there is no variation with God. He does not like you better or worse on some days and on others. His goodness is unchanging Which means all the words, follow me, which means all the words he has in Scripture do not come from a heart that is happy one day, and then in the next day it's in a bad mood. All of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the clearest, most Instagram-worthy verses, to the verses that are head-scratchers that we don't preach on a lot, all of them were written from the same loving, good heart of God. He will ne- look at me. He will never try to trick you. He will always be honest, no matter what the circumstances are. And we have to see that with faith. Faith is putting your life under this book. I know this is a very powerful visual, right? But it is. Faith is taking your life, notice, your heart, right? What I feel, my attractions, my desires, my, the th- my wants, the things I think I need, the things I'm anxious about, the things I'm angry about, and putting them under this book. I'm anxious about this, I'm dreading this, but your word says you're in control, so I'm going to go to that meeting. I'm going to have that conversation with my friend. I really want to act out this desire with the person I'm dating, with the person I'm attracted to, or or I want to do this thing, whatever it is, but I know what your word says about it, and even though I'm not really okay with it, I'm not going to act on this right now. It's also, notice it's above your mind. I don't understand. Was it seven literal days, or was it whatever? Was it... You know where did where did so and so's wife come from? Really, he flooded the whole earth. Blah, blah blah on and on. I don't understand all of it, right? But I'm gonna st- when, when 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 people ask me about it, I'm not gonna say yeah, you're right. It's ridiculous. I don't you know. It's just a made up myth. Blah blah. No 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 no. I'm gonna put my mind under this book and say, even though I don't understand it, thank goodness me who you know or you who you know. Drops your phone in the toilet again. Thank goodness you're not the end-all be. Sorry if I hit too close to home for some of you on that one. Thank goodness you're not the end-all be. Well, if I, who lost my phone, but it was on the couch next to me, I'm the one that's going to be, well, the flood doesn't make sense to me, so clearly it didn't happen. Really? That's what you're going to do? Thank goodness it's not that way. And faith is saying, you know what, I don't understand it all, but, but I'm going to submit to it. That's what faith is. And this applies in suffering as well. I don't understand what's happening to me. So give me better understanding, Lord. But either way, I'm submitting to what your book says. Because your heart is kind, right? We know from the Bible that his heart is kind. And if there is never any variation in God... Everything that happens to us is rooted in his kindness. He either allows it, and I know that's a tough pill, swallow. I watched my father-in-law die. That's going to get heavy, sorry. But I watched my father-in-law die like four months ago, right? Everything that he allows, everything that he caused, whatever it is, he either caused it or he allows it. Is, and even if we can't see it, right, sophomore year, Math major us, right? Communications, by the way. Just because I can't see the goodness in it, that doesn't mean that it's not there. And we have to, in, not blindly, but we have to in faith trusting this book. Lord, I don't understand it. I can't see it. But your word says there is no variation in you. You're not, this isn't happening to me. My, my you know, relative doesn't have cancer because your mood has changed toward me. That's great news. Thank God, right? That's good news. And I know it's, but think about it. Because if his mind changed towards us all the time, we're in huge trouble, guys. But there is no variation. He is always kind to us. And you have to work that into your soul. James then gives the highest example of God's kindness to us in verse 18. So let's read it. So that's some review. There is no change. He is always kind. In fact, he's so kind that verse 18, so here we go. In the exercise, let's do, I'm sorry, let's do 17 leading into 18 so you can kind of get the flow of it. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Okay, this is talking about salvation. okay. This is the ultimate kindness. He's talking about you becoming a Christian. That's what salvation means. You becoming a believer. You becoming a Christian. Salvation. Okay? You may want to like put brackets on that verse. Just write salvation. That's what he's talking about. H- how did these men and women become Christians? The same way we become Christians. Look at verse 18 again. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth... By the word of truth. This word, he brought us forth. In the ex- We're going to break it down. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. Brought forth here in the New Testament means to give birth to or to, to bring to birth. It's kind of like John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. To become a Christian is to be born again with a new heart, with new desires, with new eyes. So that we would become the first fruits of his creatures. First fruits means a couple things here, but it's used all over the New Testament to describe Christians. Okay? First fruit. This is one of the reasons we know he's talking about salvation. Keep a finger in James 1 and flip over to Romans chapter 16 real quick. This is just an example of the first fruits thing. Romans chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Chapter 16, verse 5. 16, verse 5. So this is Paul speaking, and he says this. And, and, and if you're taking notes, you may just kind of want to write in the margin, James 1.18, and then we get back to James 1. You may want to write Romans 16.5. Greet Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert... So converted to Christianity, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. This guy's got a crazy name. He's the first convert to Christ in Asia, which is pretty awesome. But in Greek, do you know what the word is here? It's this one word. It means first fruit. This is the same meaning. And then in James, he says, we are the first fruits. We're the first converts. We're Christians. And how did we become Christians? He exercised his will and brought us forth, birthed us again to become first fruits, to become Christians by the word of truth. So follow the flow of the verses here. Back to James 1. James has been saying since verse 16: don't be deceived. God is kind. His heart will never change. There's no variation in him. He's so kind. Look, he even made you a Christian. That's the flow. Don't be deceived. God is kind. He made you a believer. So in this verse, James is saying, the highest example of God's kindness. If you want an example of how good God has been to you, he made you a Christian, bro, right? That's the actual translation. So in the first, in the verse, James, thank you, Warren. in the verse, James is saying the highest example of God's kindness is to make you a Christian. Now, how does he do it? Verse 18. Your version, mine says, um, he brought us forth in the exercise of his will by the word of truth. So, your version may say, through the word of truth, with the word of truth, or by giving us the word of truth. This is how he makes you a Christian. James is clear. The word of truth, the Bible, the teaching of it, the reading of it, the listening to it. This book is the defining agent in you being born again, in you becoming a Christian. This, when it says word of truth right there, this is used four other times in the New Testament. And every time this phrase is used, it's mentioned as a tool for salvation, the tool for salvation. You may want to write in the margin, Ephesians one thirteen is just one example. I have others in my notes if you just want to come and nerd out after. But listen to Ephesians 1.13. Listen, and think, the word of truth is what brings salvation. In Him, that's Christ, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. So, in listening, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel, so the word of truth, Paul's saying, in other words, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, having also believed it, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And and James is telling us, the ultimate example of God's kindness is that in the exercise of his will, he wanted to. You didn't do something in a wanna that made him think, that's the one right there. You didn't do that. You, in the, in the midst of all your mess, now follow this, in the midst of all your mess, your salvation does not depend on you. Your salvation depends on God looking to you and wanting to save you, and He does. Which means, if it doesn't, I don't like that, I don't know, right? Well, think about it this way. If it all depends on God, then it doesn't matter how you came in here. It doesn't matter if you stumbled in here from last night. It doesn't matter if you came in here with all your youth medals pinned on you. Either way, it means God can rescue. It means God can save the exercise of His will through His word. What does that look like? Does He reach down? Does does your, like Moses with the burning bush, does your couch one day become burning but not consumed and you hear the voice? No, 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 no. Through his word, through knowing and learning his word, he saves us. If you, most of you guys have been to PVN at least once on Sunday, but I'm imagining your church is relatively the same if you haven't. In the middle of the room, um, well, at the center of the room, where everyone's attention is focused, is the pulpit, right? Or the lectern, where the word of God is taught. That is not, isn't it funny how that works out? That is not an aesthetic. Choice. This is ba- this is based in the Reformation. Okay, the Reformation. A little church history. I know you can use it at parties. Sorry, not sorry. But this is where, and I'm not trying to bust anybody in here. I'm just telling you a little church history. This is where Roman Catholicism had gotten out of control up to this point, and at the center of every Roman Catholic church was not the pulpit, and is probably not today. It's the table, right? Because this is where the Eucharist is served. This is where the Mass is held. And part of central Roman Catholic doctrine is that the body and blood of Jesus is actually is the bread and the wine. And that's a huge part of what saves you. You see? That's why it's at the center of what everybody's looking at. Does that make sense? But at the Reformation, Luther and Tyndale and Wycliffe and all these guys came forward and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not in here. And they knew that the Bible said that it's God's word that saves us. That's why... The Word is the focal point of Protestant churches, of Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans and PVN. That's why the pulpit is the center, is the focal point of where everybody's looking. Not because of the pastor or because of the architecture, but because that's where the Word is. And the Reformers wanted to remodel churches where the focus was on the Word, not because that's what we should do, but because they knew that in the book of James it says, listen, it says that God has always saved people through His Word. Not the Eucharist, not the table, not the music, not the potluck. His Word, right? Look at James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. Listen to what it says. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remaining wickedness in humility listen receive the what receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls the word the word of God the Bible the Bible sinking into your mind and your heart and exploding thereby changing your nature this is salvation now James is telling us that God's, and again, James is using this as an example of how kind God has been to us. God's highest kindness to us, his highest kindness to you, is making you born again. Which means, if we are believers who are suffering, which is a big theme in James chapter one, if we are believers who are suffering, we have to keep this verse in view If God has already given us the highest kindness, think about the nicest thing you could do for somebody, the absolute giving your all nicest thing you can do for someone. If God is already giving us the highest kindness by saving us, why would he all of a sudden turn mean? He wouldn't. If God has already paid the highest cost for us to save us, why would he then try to ruin us? He wouldn't. But that's exactly what we think in suffering. God has all of a sudden become mean. God is now out to get me. Well, but wait a minute. If he's already given you the greatest gift he can, it doesn't make any sense for him to ruin you because it ruins the gift. The only way this makes sense is if his suffering is not, if, if our suffering is not him being mean to us. If our suffering is not him trying to ruin us, he is doing something else. It legally, literally does not make sense for God to try to beat you up in suffering if he's already given his son, if he's already beaten up his son for you. So why would he go and beat you up now? You see, you don't deserve it anymore. The punishment's been paid. So he must be doing something else in suffering the God who has given us the highest kindness the one uh, is the one allowing the suffering think about that the same God who is allowing your suffering is the same God who gave his son so that you would never have to suffer eternally so he must be doing something by allowing that suffering because he obviously loves you enough to he so wait a minute you love me enough to keep me from eternal suffering, but you don't love me enough to keep me away from temporary suffering? That can't be it. If he loves you enough to keep you away from eternal suffering, there must be a purpose for our temporary suffering. You see? And this is why we have to remember that he's already given us the greatest gift. Because if I know you've given me the best gift, then I know that the suffering can't be out of meanness. Because you you're not mean to someone that you give the best gift to salvation is the reason we know that god is never changing he's already paid the highest price for us so why would he change after that there's nothing left to give he's already given the most this also shows us something about our lives and this is where we'll close now listen if the bible says that the best gift god can give us the best thing he can the best thing for you The the thing that will make you the most happy, give you the most joy, if the Bible says that the best gift God can give us, the highest form of kindness God can give us, is salvation, then that means it is not a spouse. Then that means it is not the perfect job. Then that means it is not the perfect family. Then that means it is not the perfect amount of money. And suffering is part of God lifting our eyes away from those. Are those not the things that happen that get attacked during suffering sometimes? Suffering is part of God lifting our eyes away from those things so that we can see the ultimate hope is our salvation that comes from Him through His Word. Here's why I say this. All right, Ryan, I know that a spouse is not the ultimate gift I can get from God. Yeah, 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 but we spend so much of our lives living as if a spouse is the ultimate gift we can get from God. We spend so much time that we think our ultimate hope is in this. So we try to be impressive during the dating process, right? The used car salesman, right? You cover up everything that's wrong. You cover up the mess, right? And then when you get married you just and here we go right because now you're stuck right but this is the point we we think that having a spouse that getting married that that having the Instagram wedding right that's the best gift we can ever receive from God so we will do anything to get it we'll cover up our mess we'll we'll leave our friends we'll leave our church We'll, we'll we're willing to make our family mad we're willing to ignore all the advice. It's not him. He is not the guy. He is not the guy. Well, and then and you ignore everything. It's not her, bro. It's not her. And we ignore, we push everything away because we're living as if this is the highest thing we get from God. And James is saying, no, no, no. We spend so much of time in our lives as if, let's do another one, as if a peaceful, easy life is the highest gift from God. So we fight and claw to procrastinate and live as if any interruption to our peace is the end of the world. Because to us, peace is our world and not God. Listen to Matt Chandler. Do you guys know who that is? You guys need to Google that mess. He's all over YouTube. He's fantastic. Uh, He had brain cancer like a decade ago and survived it. Um, Matt Chandler says this, Suffering excuse me, comfort, <laughs> whoops, comfort is the God of our generation. Comfort is the God of our We will do anything we can, move any obstacle so that we can be comfortable. Comfort is the God of our generation, so suffering is seen as a problem to be solved, not as a providence from God. In other words, nobody ever thinks that suffering is doing something, We're so desperate for it to be out of the way. What is this, God? Get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this. We don't understand. The reason you're so desperate to get rid of suffering is because it's getting in the way of your God. It's blocking you from your comfort, God. It's blocking me from my spouse, God. It's blocking me from my, my need for control, God. How differently we would live How much more time would we spend in this book if we truly believed that this book held the key to the highest form of kindness we can ever receive? It's not just a boring list of rules. It's not some oppressive, outdated manual that you only pull out when the thing breaks down. God is better. Follow this train of logic. God is better than anything else in the universe. Can we agree? So his kindness is the greatest gift in the entire universe because it's from the best person. His kindness is way better than my kindness, right? God's the greatest thing in the universe. Therefore, his kindness is the greatest kindness in the universe. The Bible is the key to his kindness. Therefore, the Bible is the key to the greatest gift in the universe. To your salvation, That's the gift. Look at 18 one more time. In the exercise of his will, because he wanted to, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. You know the song, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me what grace he reaches down and he saves. It doesn't matter how you came in here. If you're new, if you've been here longer than me, God's grace is what rescues. God's grace is what saves. And it is totally available for you. Let's pray.